honor to be with you. I'd like you to take the word of God and open it with me to the book of Nehemiah this morning. I've only been to Northern Ireland once uh, in 2006, and my wife has never been from England to Northern Ireland before, so thank you already for the very warm welcome. I'd like you to turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 2, and we'll read verses 11 to 20. Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 11 to 20. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days, and I arose in the night, I and some few men with me, Neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Neither was there any beast with me, save the beast that I rode upon. And I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well, and to the dung port, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and the gates thereof were consumed with fire. Then I went on to the gate of the fountain and to the king's pool, but there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. Then went I up by the night by the brook and viewed the wall and turned back and entered by the gate of the valley and so returned. And the rulers knew not whither I went or what I did. Neither had I as of yet told it to the Jews nor to the priests nor to the nobles, nor to the rulers, nor to the rest that did the work. Then said I unto them, Ye see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come, and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more a reproach. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. But when Sanballat and the Heronite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite and Geshem the Arabian heard it, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, What is this thing that ye do? Will ye rebel against the king? Then answered I them and said unto them, The God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore, we his servants will arise and build. But ye have no portion, nor right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. Please hold your place there in Nehemiah and turn with me to the book of Lamentations. Just after Jeremiah is the small little book of Lamentations. And in chapter 3, verse 21, we'll read what Jeremiah had said. Jeremiah was there when these walls had been destroyed. He had seen the gates destroyed, the walls destroyed, and he had prayed this prayer, which we sang this morning. He said... In chapter 3, verse 21, which is right in the heart of this five-chapter book, he prays, This I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. 
It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. This morning and this throughout this week, I'd like to look at the gates of Jerusalem. And it's a series that uh, I hesitated and changed my mind about a few times, but I kept coming back to it. Uh, And in in fact, I started thinking about the gates of Jerusalem when I was with your pastor walking around the city of Jerusalem, and we saw some some of the gates that were in Jerusalem. This was seven years ago. We were in Israel. I believe seven years ago we were there together. And... I I wanted to start studying the gates. And I came to this passage in Nehemiah chapter 3 as I started to study it, uh, which is the next chapter from what we read. And I saw that there were 10 gates listed that were in Jerusalem in Nehemiah's day. And the more I studied it, the more I thought, this represents the Christian life in almost its entirety. And uh, But uh, maybe the first time I had read Nehemiah chapter 3, I thought, this is the most dull chapter that there is because it's just a list, a list of gates and a list of people who helped rebuild the gates. And, but I, by God's grace this week, would like to be your tour guide and walk around the ancient gates of Jerusalem, the ancient walls of Jerusalem. But I, I pray that as I saw some things from, some themes from God's word opening up, uh, before me, I pray that you could see that too, because there's nothing worse than a dull tour guide. And uh, I remember we went to Paris for our 15th wedding anniversary last year, and uh, we, we noticed that our tour guide at the Eiffel Tower was just reading off of Wikipedia. And so one by one, everyone in the tour started to disappear, and they were all gone. But I, I would hate for that to happen this week, for you to disappear halfway through our, walk, our, our journey around Jerusalem. I'd love for you to see uh, the things that, that God is showing. And there's nothing as wonderful as a believing tour guide who can open up for us uh, the truths from God's word. But tonight we're going to begin at Jeremiah, uh, Nehemiah chapter 3 and verse 1. Then Eliashib the high priest rose up with his brethren, the priest, and they builded the sheep gate. They sanctified it and set up the doors of it, even unto the tower of Mia. They sanctified it unto the tower of Hananiel. And next unto him builded the men of Jericho, and next to them builded Zachar, the son of Imri. The first gate you see is the sheep gate. And it's also the last gate you see in this chapter, Nehemiah chapter 3. Everything begins and ends at the sheep gate at the very north of the city of Jerusalem. Now, of course, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, the Bible says, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. And I believe that's true of even Nehemiah chapter 3. In fact, Jesus said, as he walked into one of these gates, he said, if the people didn't proclaim these things, the rocks themselves would cry out. And I think that they have something to tell us this morning. What had happened? The, the, the city had gone into disrepair. And spiritually speaking, 
things are going into disrepair. Each one of these subjects that we're going to talk about has, in our society today, gone into disrepair, has been neglected, and we need to see it. We need to understand it. Nehemiah went there, and he told them the need. He said, ye see the distress that we are in. Jerusalem lieth waits, the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come, let us build, build them up again. And he didn't go there promising the people very much. He promised, he didn't promise them it was going to be easy. He didn't promise them that it was going to, uh, to uh, bring them any fame. They, he just said, this is the need. And the Lord put on their heart that the people then said, uh, in verse 18 of chapter 2, let us rise up and build and they strengthened their hands for this good work. It's such a good work being involved in the Lord's, in the Lord's work. It, it's the best work. We think about, uh, we think about uh, what, what really will last for all of eternity. It's wonderful to see all of the fruit and, and the vegetables and things that are here today. I remember, though, meeting once uh, James Ray, who started my wife's home church in Corby in England, in the Midlands. And I said, thank you for starting that church all those years ago. I said, if you hadn't done that, we, would have, uh, we wouldn't be married right now. And he said, well, if you, if you want to do something that will last for a little while, you should plant a garden. If you want to do something that will last for many years, plant a tree. But if you want to do, be, be involved in something that will last for all of eternity, you should be involved in planting churches and seeing God's work move forward. And uh, here we have something that would, that would, be, that would last, it would, it would teach a lesson for all time. Think about these ancient gates with me. So, uh, first of all, as I said, is this sheep gate. Why does he start with an animal gate? This is the gate that all the sheep would come into uh, on their way to, towards the temple. I'm sure if Alistair was there, he'd be talking to all the sheep as they walked through, through the gate. This is the gate, though, that the Bible tells us in John chapter 5 that when Jesus came to Jerusalem, he entered through the sheep gate. Now, most people would probably enter through the, the, the next gate, the market gate, which we'll, we'll talk about tonight, and, and all the, the sights and the smells and the, uh, you know, the, the taste and things that were at the fish gate or the market gate. Most people would go in there, but Jesus, he slipped in through the sheep gate, through the animal gate. Why is that? Well, this is the gate that the priests set up. This is the gate that was the priestly gate. We're told that it was rebuilt and dedicated. The, the, the doors were set in place and the walls were built and that there was a two towers built either side of it. But this is the only gate that speaks of a dedication. There was something very special about this gate. And... Uh, this is right by the pool of Bethesda. When we were in Israel, when we, when we were to, walking around, we found the, the, the pool of Bethesda with its five porches. And uh, we looked down into it. And then we went into a, a church with this wonderful echo there. But right next to it is a, is a gate. And it's, it was the ancient sheep gate. This represents for us the Lamb of God. He walked through that gate because he was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There really is no other way to come to God than through the way that he's provided. These gates speak to us of access. There's access to God. There's a way to come to God, and God invites us to come, but we can only come 
his way. And the, and the only way to begin the Christian life is through the sheep gate. Think about the preeminence here, uh, first of all, of the sheep gate. It's the, as I said, it's the very first one mentioned. It's the last one mentioned. It's the one that's dedicated uh, in a special way, sanctified, it says in verse 1, uh, to the Lord. And we think of, as well of, of our Savior, how he is to take all preeminence. In Colossians 1 and verse 18, the Bible tells us that we should make much of this, of this thought of Christ, the Lamb of God. It's been lost, this message of salvation by grace through faith. It is being lost today. It's being muddled. It's being in disrepair. Colossians 1 and verse 18, though, tells us that in all things, he might have the preeminence. Pastor prayed for us at the beginning of the service that he would indeed have preeminence today. In the church especially, it says in that verse, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, as well, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 2, Paul said that he, wouldn't, he would not preach anything. I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. We think of the preeminence of this throughout Scripture. Think about uh, this subject throughout Scripture. This is, the, this is the key to understanding the Bible. I remember uh, my friend Stephen Trowell. He, he was in charge of the media at the Bible college I attended at Crown College in Tennessee. And uh, then God moved in his heart after reading the book of Jonah to go as a missionary to Baghdad. And as he went, he, he said that the way that he witnessed to Muslim, Muslims was through this thought. And he was planning to come to our church to do a Muslim evangelism course uh, earlier this year, but he, he was murdered in Baghdad earlier this year but, uh, for his faith. But, you know, I thought I, I, he had told me what he, basically what he was going to be teaching. And I remember just recently going into my barber shop and meeting a, a man, a Kurdish man, who was, who was cutting my hair. And uh, I was the only one in the barbershop at the time. And so he started asking me, what's the difference between what you believe and what I believe? And so I just took him through, starting in the Garden of Eden, how that uh, a sacrifice was needed. We think about Adam and Eve, how they tried to cover their nakedness with fig leaves, but the works of their hands would not suffice and so the first sacrifice was made and God himself made that sacrifice and made them coats of skins God God the creator became God the the tailor and he he created these coats of skins and the first death is recorded there for us we think of Adam and Eve's children Cain and Abel and Cain brought the fruit of his hands I'm sure it looked as lovely as as perhaps this basket here you know the uh but of course, what's our attitude when it comes to this? Our attitude is one of gratitude, isn't it? When we celebrate Harvest Sunday. But uh, the Bible tells us that the works that we do, the things that we present to God, is not to gain his favor. It's not in order to gain his favor. It's because of the provision that he's already made. We think about uh, the book of Ephesians, chapter 3, verses uh, chapter 2, verses 8 to 10, it says, For by grace ye are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, and it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. 
For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk therein. So presenting our works to God is not something we do in order for him to save us. We do it afterwards because of and with gratitude. But, uh, but it was the, he thought he would earn God's favor through the works of his hands. He didn't think he needed the ultimate, uh, the, the sacrifice, which is a picture of the ultimate sacrifice that Christ would make. And so God rejected his sacrifice, and he accepted Abel's sacrifice, which was the way that God had, had uh, uh, said that it should be done, the way that he had shown Adam and Eve that it should be done, and he was accepted. And I took uh, my barber through that, and I took him through how um, God, how God uh, uh, told Noah after the flood to, to make sacrifices. And even I took him to Genesis chapter 22, where, uh, where Abraham took his son to the top of Mount Moriah, which is in modern-day Jerusalem. And uh, there his son had asked, here is the wood, here is the fire, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And what did his father say? My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they, both, so they went, both of them, together. God will provide and that, I think that's the, the heart of Genesis chapter 22 because God, uh, Abraham picks that up when he names the place Jehovah Jireh. When they saw a ram caught in the thicket as a substitute for his son, as a replacement. And he, he took that ram and offered him for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh as it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. God will provide. We're just saying, all we have needed, thy hand hath provided. But what's the greatest thing God's provided? Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. We, we have that. God has provided it. Of course, uh, Abraham, uh, Moses, he instituted this sacrificial system. And as they built the city of Jerusalem, they would bring the sheep in. And they would bring them in for the, to go straight from from the gate to the pool of Bethesda to be cleansed in the pool and then on into the temple and to the brazen altar. And that was what it was for. It was a, it was a picture of what Christ would do for us. When Jesus came, what did John the Baptist say? Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. He is the Lamb. He came in through that gate uh, in, in John chapter 5. And uh, he saw a man who was sitting by the pool, and he, he, he healed him, he restored him. So we think about the, the preeminence of this gate. Think also with me, if you will, about the planning, the planning of the cross, the, the planning of the cross. The Bible says he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Think of the purpose of the cross. It says that he, he died to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Think about the power of the cross. The redemption, the Bible talks about, of the cross and the permanence of the cross. What Jesus does in saving our sin can never be undone. So the preeminence of what is represented here by the sheep gate. Then we think about the the peace of the sheep gate, the peace that it brings. Uh, We see here that there are priests working in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1, and they're working alongside people from Jericho in Nehemiah chapter 3 and verse 2, the priest and people from a cursed city called Jericho, and yet they're all working together. 
And when we come to the, the sheep gate, when we come to Christ, when we, when we come to him for salvation, the way that he's prescribed, it's, we're all level. Everyone's level at the cross. Everyone has to come in that way. You have to humble yourself and come through the way God has prescribed. Did you know that in Bethlehem, they built uh, a church over top of where supposedly uh, Jesus had been born? Uh, but they were tired of people coming in on their horses, just coming right into the churchyard. And so they built a very, a very uh, low, narrow gate. And that's where we get the phrase, get off your high horse. And uh, whenever you come to Christ, you have to get off your high horse. You have to humble yourself and recognize that you need a Savior. Being saved is very simple. It's open to all. Did you know that all of these gates in Nehemiah chapter 3, I noticed that they all talk about the bars and the, and the locks of the gates, except for this one. It's open. It's open to everyone. And the, the, the offer of salvation is open to all. It's very simple. Admit that you're a sinner. A, B, C. Admit that you're a sinner. B, believe Jesus was the Savior. And C, call upon him for salvation. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But most people, as we know, don't get to letter A, do they? They don't, they don't want to admit that they're a sinner, that they need a Savior. My father thought it was by good works growing up in the Netherlands. Uh, he, as a teenager, he asked the priest how to go to heaven. And the priest told him, just be a good boy. If your good works that way, your bad works, you'll go to heaven. And if your bad works that way, your good works, you'll go to hell. Don't ask too many questions. Uh, but then my father moved to America when he was 17 years old. And uh, he was invited to a meeting. And he thought it was a party but it was a youth meeting at the church. And um, uh, he, he was very upset by this. He went outside angrily to smoke a cigarette, but then he looked up at the stars, and he thought, either these people are crazy, or I really need to listen to what they're saying. And he said something deep in his heart said, this is very important, you really need to listen to what these folks are saying. And just that time, someone came out to him and said, why don't you come back inside? We have donuts so our family always thanks God for donuts. And, and uh, he went back inside, and uh, three different people shared the gospel with him that night. And my father was still learning English, so they shared with him Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for by grace ye are saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And my dad had been watching John Wayne movies with Dutch subtitles to learn English. And John Wayne had never taught him the word grace or saved or faith. But that phrase, not of works, got his attention because it was the opposite of what the priest had said. And so uh, eventually, after about the third person explaining it to him, he finally understood what grace meant and what it meant to be saved and what faith was. And about a week later, he trusted Christ as his Savior. And, uh, you know, my father... Uh, his theme now is make it plain, make it clear to people. And I'm so thankful that he, because he never heard the gospel growing up in the Netherlands, he made sure that we and my brothers and my sister heard it every day. And you, but this clarity, this, this open gate is, is in disrepair. It's been blocked up with so much rubbish and rubble. And what do we need to do? We need to clear it out. Clear out the way for the sheep gate. I'm so thankful I trusted my, Christ as my Savior when I was just a boy. 
because I was given it so clearly and plainly, and I was able to to put my faith in Christ. Think about the the peace that it brings, peace that it brings to people, peace that it brings to communities, these people uh, that were sort of opposites. And think of the men of Jericho. They came a long way from along the Jericho Road to come and help work on this gate. And may may we invite people who are far off from God. The Bible says we can be brought nigh by the blood of the cross. Think about the the preeminence of the gate, the peace of this gate, and the protection of this sheep gate. The Bible tells us here in verse 1 that they built two towers, the Tower of Mia and the Tower of Hananiel, uh, by this gate. None of the other gates had towers, but this one was special. It needed to be protected. We think about towers representing refuge and security and a, a, a watch is to be put over this. Uh, it's so important, even though there's no bars or locks, there has to be a watch over this gate. The Bible tells us that uh, we should watch. We should uh, look at Philippians with me, if you will. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 17. Paul says, but Paul says at the end of that verse, I am set for the defense of the gospel, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. We need to defend the gospel. We need, as the book of Jude says, to earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. Our faith is, a, is not a contemporary experiment. Our faith is a treasured heritage that was given once, it was given once, but it must be earnestly contended for in every generation. And so, uh, so many places you see that the preaching of the cross has been left behind, has been forgotten. But the preeminent thing that we need to protect is the gospel, the sheep gate, the way for folks to come to Christ. And then we see finally the presentation of the sheep gate. Look at uh, Nehemiah chapter Three once more, and verse number, verse number one again, it says, they sanctified it. Even unto the Tower of Mia, they sanctified this, this sheep gate. The word sanctified means it's set apart. It was dedicated, it was presented, or it was proclaimed to be finished. They proclaimed, they dedicated, they, 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 they sanctified, they proclaimed that it was done. And what do we need to do when it comes to salvation and the gospel? We just need to proclaim that it's finished. The work has been, has been done. There's two religions in the world, do or done. And Jesus said it is finished. We don't have to do anything. We just have to come into that gate that has, been, that has been done for us. The Bible tells us that we are to proclaim it, we are to preach it, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says that, that God hath chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that, we, that believe. In 1 Corinthians 1 it says also, we preach Christ crucified. So the world a stumbling block. And uh, to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But unto us that are saved it is the power of God. We preach Christ crucified. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us as well. The, what the gospel is. It says, I declare unto you the gospel. 
that how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. Most people know Jesus died, but do they know why Jesus died for our sins, according to the scriptures? Think of this, this priestly work that these priests were involved with the sheep and they built these gates, this gate, this particular gate. They were willing to get involved. And by the way, everyone in the city got involved. Nehemiah got all these people. We're going to see that all of these people were doing these things at the same time. And there's, there's so many areas of the Christian life that need to be repaired in our day and age. But this particular one, uh, is the is the first and it's the most the most prominent i encourage you get back to the sheep gate when i visited uh, bedford which is very close to uh, peterborough in in cambridgeshire in england uh i i remember hearing the story about how john bunyan had trusted christ as the savior how that he had been playing uh some form of rounders there in the in the t- town of elstow and um, he had been cursing and swearing, playing this game on the Lord's Day. And uh, then all of a sudden he saw the village cross standing in the middle of the green. And all of a sudden he saw the cross and he was smitten with conviction of his sin. And he, that was where his journey began. He tried to go to the church and become a bell ringer, but that didn't help. He thought the bells were going to fall on his head and crush him. And he wrote about that in Pilgrim's Progress when he said, that uh, pilgrim went to Mount Sinai and he thought the mountain was going to fall on his head. But then he said when he got to the cross, finally, um, in the pilgrim's progress, he got to the cross and the burden that was on his back rolled away into the empty tomb. And But you know, to, when I went to visit Elstow to see this, this cross that John Bunyan had written about, it was just a stump. It was gone. And that's really a picture of of our, of our generation today. The cross is gone. The preaching of the cross is gone. May we rebuild this gate and invite everyone to come. It's, it's there for everyone to come in, but we need to proclaim it. We need to tell everyone that Christ's work has been finished. And we're about to take the Lord's table, and we think about what Christ did for us there. All we have needed, his hand has provided But even if we had nothing else, we could praise God for our salvation. Can I read you one more Bible verse from the book of Habakkuk? I know it's in the Minor Prophets. Uh, Some of these are a bit difficult to find, but I hear your pastor has been preaching in the Minor Prophets. But look at the last verses of Habakkuk chapter 4 and verse 17. Chapter 3 and verse 17. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Praise the Lord. Think about, even if we had nothing to celebrate today, no harvest... We could still rejoice in our salvation, couldn't we? Even if he says, even if there were no figs if, if on the on the trees, no fruit on the vines, no olives on the trees, no no sheep in the fields, no 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 cows in the in the flocks, 
nothing, no, no, no herds in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. He's provided it all. I will joy in the God of my salvation. We've been saved. We have a finished work that we can rejoice in. So even if the pastor were to ask for testimonies one day, what can we rejoice in? Even if you had nothing else that you could think of, you could say, praise God for my salvation. And if you've never been saved, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, and uh, you think about that man who was at the sheep gate, Jesus came in the sheep gate and saw that man at the pool of Bethesda. He said, I have no man to help me. Jesus helped him. Maybe you think nobody else can help you. Jesus can help you. He can be what you need this morning. Let's pray.